Good morning. Please take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. 2 Chronicles 36. You might just look for Ezra because what you're looking for is the last chapter of the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 36. But before we dive into that, I have a few questions. Can I get my screen? Is there a switch back there? We have three dates. Is there somebody who thinks they know at least one of these dates, what it means? Okay, how many of you think you know two? Good. How many of you think you know three? Good. Good. Well, let's review them. Who wants to take the first one? 606 B.C. Hannah? That's right, in 606 B.C. is the first deportation when Daniel, his three friends, and not just Daniel and his three friends, but other princes from Judah are taken captive to Babylon. Now, 597 is not so common, but can somebody tell me what happened in 597 B.C.? We know Hannah's got it, but she already answered the first one. That's good. Yes, Isaac. Exactly, he got it. This was the second deportation when 10,000 people were carried away captive, the tradesmen, and included Ezekiel, whom we know is the prophet that has his name, and Mordecai. You remember the relative of Queen Esther. All right. 586 BC. This one's a very famous one. Elijah? All right, he said the last deportation in Jerusalem totally destroyed. That's correct. Now, um, a few weeks ago, I don't know if any of you caught it, but when um, I asked about this, someone said that this is when Rome came and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. Why would somebody maybe say Rome came and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem? Anybody know? Hannah's kind of raising her hand. Why, Hannah? They were a powerful nation too. That's right. So let's, let's look, at, look at that answer. So he, the answer given was that Rome came and destroyed the temple and Jerusalem. Is he wrong? Just history in general, is he wrong? No. It's just not the right date. It's just not the right date. In 586 B.C., Babylon came and destroyed the temple and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Then time goes by, and Jesus is born, oh, about 586 years after this. And by that time, the temple has been rebuilt. Herod, an Edomite king, has made that temple really big and beautiful. And then by AD 70, that's AD 70, that's when Rome comes and destroys the temple and destroys the city of Jerusalem and scatters the people of the Jews all over the world. And since that time, the Jews have not gathered back together in their land, but they will. All right? We're going to learn a little bit about that today because this captivity 
this deportation, 586 B.C., each of these three mark periods of 70 years. And at the, if you take these and you were to add 70 years to each of them, there's major events that happen at each of these points, 70 years exactly after each of these major events. And that's very fascinating. But let's not confuse the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem with the Roman destruction of Jerusalem. All right, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word that you have inspired and that you have preserved for us here today. I pray, Lord, that we might learn from it. Help us to learn today. Help us to take heed as we study these people from oh so long ago that we might apply the lessons that they did not learn in our own lives. And so help us, Father, as we do just that. We pray in your name. Amen. You're in 2 Chronicles 36, the end, right? The end of the book. Look with me at verse 14. It tells us, moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much. We got some big words in there, don't we? Well, priests are the priests supposed to be priests of God, those who are offering offerings on behalf of God. These are supposed to be the spiritual people, the people who know God, the people who are teaching about God. And it says the priests and the people transgressed very much. What does transgressed means? That means that they broke God's law. They did not obey God. They transgressed God's law. And it says they broke God's law very much. After all the abominations of the heathen, abominations are things that God hates. And the heathen are those people who don't know God. And so here now, the priests and all the people who are God's people, who are supposed to know God's law, God's word, God himself, they break his law, they disobey his commands very much, and instead, they do the things that God hates, abominations, of the heathen, of people who don't know God. It says, they polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. Polluted. That means make dirty. How many of you would like to drink water out of one of the puddles in the parking lot? Anybody you want to drink water out of one of the puddles in the parking lot? Why not? It's water. Because it's polluted. It's dirty water. It's disgusting water. It's water that will make you sick. Could you imagine taking a cup of water that's pure and clean and putting dirt and poison and bacteria in it? 
that would be polluting it. I think I got something like that last week. I got hit with a bug. It hit me. My whole system says, uh-uh-uh, get rid of that. And then I was better after I got rid of it. Just a few hours, I was better. Because I got something polluted. Well, here we have the people, even the priests, who polluted the house of the Lord. Here it says, which he had hollowed in Jerusalem. Hollowed means that he made it special. He made it sacred. He made it holy. And instead of keeping it holy and special and pure, they polluted it. And that doesn't mean that they just dumped all their trash there, which they did. It doesn't mean that um, they just forgot to dust it and to clean it. It means that they came there and they worshiped idols. We're going to actually learn more about this. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at the last chapter of 2 Chronicles, and we're going to look at the last chapter of 2 Kings, which is really just an overview of the last few years, really only about a year and a half, about two years, period of history, just about two years of history. But really, we need to squeeze into these two years of history, not just these last two chapters, but most of the book of Jeremiah and most of the book of Ezekiel all takes place in here. And there is all kinds of detail going on. In fact, half of the book of Daniel takes place in these two years. A whole lot of details going on. And so in Chronicles and Kings, we just get the high-level overview. We find out in other places of some of the horrible things they had been doing to pollute this here, the house of the Lord. Now you might be saying, well, maybe, maybe, pastor, it's because they didn't know. Maybe they were worshiping these other gods and these idols and doing these evil things because they didn't know God's law. Because see here, it does say that the chief of the priests were not, they were doing it. So obviously they weren't doing their job in teaching the people what the law was. So maybe people didn't know. What do you think? Is that a fair? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 15. And the Lord God of their fathers, the one true God, sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. You see, betimes means before times, that times that was before early. All the times it is. From very earliest times, God sent messengers. Even though the priests weren't doing their job, even though the Levites weren't doing their job, God's continued to send messengers to them. And why does it say God sent the messengers? Somebody look at that verse and tell me, why does it say that God sent the messengers? Raise your hand when you see it. Keep your hand up. Raise your hand when you see it. Okay. Let's see here. Somebody who hasn't answered a question yet. Mrs. Rinks. Because he had compassion. Is that a big word? Is that a big word? Edith, do you know what compassion means? Do you know what compassion means? It means being kind. It means showing love. It means that you see someone is in a bad place and your heart hurts for them 
so much that you want to help them. God saw that the people were doing all of this wickedness, and he wanted to help them. That's why he sent his messengers, to warn them and to teach them God's law. Now, have you ever been doing something wrong that maybe you didn't know it was wrong, or maybe you might have thought it was wrong, but then somebody came to you and told you it was wrong? And maybe they just told you it was wrong just from their own opinion, or maybe they shared with you from God's word that it was wrong. How do you respond? Some of us say, I don't care. I'm going to keep on doing it. Or we just listen, and then we keep on doing it. That's just like the people in Judah. Look at the next verse. Second Chronicles 36, verse 16. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets. Oh. They did three things. They mocked, they despised, and they misused the prophets of God. And you might be saying, well, I don't mock. Do you despise? You know what despise means? Despise means that you don't value it. You don't think very much of it. Um, how many of you, when you eat a banana, take the banana peel and save it as a treasure? No, you take the banana peel unless unless you have some purpose for compost, is about the only one I can imagine, and you despise it, you throw it out. Even compost is throwing it out. You despise it, you cast it away from you. Well, what's going on here is that these messengers were despised. Weren't, they weren't valued. Their messages were as if they were banana peels. That ain't worth anything, is it? And they were mocked, and they were misused. Misused means they were mean to them. And this happened, God says here, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Wrath of the Lord is God's righteous judgment and anger against wickedness and sin. And he says it happened until they continued doing this so that the wrath was to come and there was no remedy. A remedy is a fixer, a solution. There was no remedy. It was going to come. Therefore, verse 17, he, the Lord, brought upon them the king of the Chaldees. That's a new name. Heard of the Chaldees? Who are the Chaldees? The Chaldees are the Babylonians, specifically a particular tribal group, family clan of the Babylonians, among whom were Nebuchadnezzar and all kinds of powerful, wealthy people. 
part of his family clan who oversaw all of Babylon. The Chaldees come. And who brought the Chaldees upon them again? I just told you who. The Lord did. Because he was going to judge them. Last week, somebody was playing the part of Jeconiah for me. Who was playing Jeconiah last week? I can't remember. Who, who was Jeconiah? Jeconiah was the guy that got carried away to Babylon. Remember the different kings? One got carried away to Egypt, one got drug out, and one got carried away to Babylon. Nobody wants to volunteer to be this guy? Who was this guy last week? Oh, was it Walter? Walter, were you this guy? All right, you come on up here. Here, let's come. Let's come stand up here. So we have right here, right here by the speaker, buddy. Right over here. Come stand over here. Yeah, he was going to Judah, his spot he was last time. Remember, you were the king. Sadly, you were a wicked king. Coniah, Jehoiakim was his name. He reigned a very, very short time. And if we look here in 2 Kings or in 2 Chronicles, both places, it tells us that um, he had done that which was wrong and evil in the sight of the Lord. Evil. And it tells us that when the year had expired... King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with the goodly vessels of the house of the Lord and made Zedekiah king after him, his uncle, Zedekiah. And this was a fulfillment of a prophecy that Jeremiah had made in Jeremiah 22. We're going to look at it this afternoon, where God says, though Jeconiah were as a signet ring, Upon my hand, God says, I will take Jeconiah and I will cast him away. And that's what happened to you. You got carried away to Babylon. You want to go sit down, please? And Nebuchadnezzar put a new king over the people, his uncle or legal adopted brother, and gave him the name Zedekiah. Who was Zedekiah last week? I think Isaac was, yes. I remember this because you get a hard job. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar made Zedekiah king. Here's our guy, Zedekiah. You get to reign for 11 years. Isn't that exciting? But I'll tell you, it's sad because it tells us that he too did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Second Kings 24, verse 19. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then it tells us that the anger of the Lord came up against Jerusalem until he had cast them from out of his presence. That's a very eerie statement. 
because Zedekiah had been serving King Nebuchadnezzar. We're just going to put Nebuchadnezzar over here and leave him sitting in his throne in Babylon, even though he moves around a bit. Can you just be the representative of Nebuchadnezzar over here? Here he is. Here's our Nebuchadnezzar. You don't like him anymore. You never really did like him. But keep in mind, he put that crown on your head. He made you king. But he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. In the last verse of 2 Kings 24, he rebelled against the king of Babylon. And so it tells us in chapter 25 and verse 1, it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all his hosts against Jerusalem and pitched against it, and they built forts against it round about, and the city was besieged. Jerusalem is surrounded. There's no way in. There's no way out. The Babylonians have trapped Zedekiah and all of the people and all of the refugees from around the neighboring towns and villages in the city of Jerusalem. And it tells us exactly when this began. In your ninth year. And it tells us that the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. That's a long siege. But you know what happened in that time? Well, you have to keep eating every day, right? And if you can't go out of the city and nobody can come into the city, where are you going to get your food? Hmm? Nowhere. It's all going to go away. It's all going to be gone. And that's exactly what happened in Jerusalem. There was no food. For it tells us that the siege lasted until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. And it gives us the specific day. For it says, on the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine prevailed in the city and there was no bread for the people of the land. It was so bad, people were eating people. It was horrible. And you know, in the midst of all of this, there was a prophet whose name was Jeremiah. Oh, and you were Jeremiah, weren't you? And Jeremiah had been one of those prophets who had been speaking to them over and over and over. And you know what his message has been recently? Surrender. 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 Serve the king of Babylon. Surrender. You don't agree. So you know what he does? Locks him up in prison. Throws him in jail. Mistreats him. There's a whole lot of detail we'll go into later. But on this particular day, Jeremiah is in jail. Zedekiah is starving. Desperately starving, as are the whole city. So Zedekiah, Zedekiah's got a plan. There's a little place in the garden of the palace where they can break through the wall. And he and his best friends are going to make a run for it. So as the famine is prevailing, 
and is being broken up. That means that the Babylonians are coming in all over the place. Zedekiah and his men of war fled by night, by the way of the gate between two walls, which is by the king's garden. So he goes and he sneaks through this little secret passageway, likely not a real proper entrance or gate. It's believed that it was a, they actually cut the whole, that it was prepped as an escape route, and then they busted through at that very last moment to escape at night under the cover of the darkness. They were going to flee towards the way of the plain, towards Jericho. They were going to get out of there, he and his fighting men. But the army of the Chaldees pursued after the king, overtook him in the plains of Jericho. He got, he actually, you actually got pretty far away. Plains of Jericho. You know what? Those fighting men that went with you, they scattered. They didn't stay with him. It wasn't like those courageous stories you read about the king's men fighting to the death, surrounding and protecting their king. No. Uh-uh. Those are fairy tales. It does happen sometimes, but yeah, this isn't a fairy tale. This is real history. They're scattered. They're gone. And they leave this guy all by himself. I wonder if your sons were with you. I wonder if his sons were back in Jerusalem, still captured. I don't know. But they take him and they take the people. And let's keep reading what it says. It says, verse 6, so they took the king and they brought him to the king of Babylon in Riblah. So they go far north, out of the city, out of the nation of Israel, north, to meet up with the king Nebuchadnezzar. And they, he, gave judgment upon him. And it tells us in verse 7 that they slew your sons before your eyes. It's one of the cruelest things you can do to a father. Cruelest things you could do to a father. And with that being the last thing that he sees, they don't kill him. They leave him with that image as they pluck out his eyes. And then they bind him with fetters of brass. And they carry him away captive as a blind captive to Babylon. He's gone. We never again hear anything about Zedekiah. Well, it continues. It tells us that in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which is the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard. Now, don't confuse these guys. We have the king of Babylon over there. But now we have Nebuzaradan. Yes, captain of the guard. So I serve him. Notice I've got that Nebu in my name. Yeah, we're related. We're, we're Chummy, we're Chaldees. And we're the rulers of Babylon. And so Nebuchadnezzar's conquered the city. And now he sends the captain of his guard, Nebuzaradan, to Jerusalem. And Nebuzaradan has a job. Now, it's not recorded here in 2 Kings, but I'll give you a little heads up. Your majesty, Nebuchadnezzar, You've heard about this guy. 
Nebuchadnezzar knows about Jeremiah. And somehow your spies have informed you he's in jail. I have no idea how you knew that. I have special instructions that when I come into this city, there's a special guy I'm watching out for. Jeremiah. And you know, it's not because I'm going to capture him and kill him. It's because I'm going to protect him upon the command of Nebuchadnezzar. I give you this little bit of information from Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, so that you can see a perspective of something else when we read what happens here in a summary. For here came Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon into Jerusalem. And he burnt the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and every great man's house burnt he with fire. And all the army of the Chaldees that were with the captain of the guard break down the walls of of Jerusalem roundabout. The temple is burned. The king's house is burned. The houses of the wealthy are burned. And the walls are knocked down flat. That's a lot of work. Now the rest of the people that were left in the city and the fugitives that fell away to the king of Babylon with the remnant of the multitude did Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carry away. All those that were gathered up fleeing, all those that were in the city were gathered up, all of them. The only people we left behind, Nebuzaradan and my army, were the poor of the land the poor of the land. Because you know what? We have just colonized this region. And we need somebody to take care of the vineyards. And so we leave the poor of the land as vine dressers and husbandmen. But you know before or after, combination of what? Nebuzaradan stripped the temple of everything valuable. The gold and the silver vessels. The bronze vessels. And not just the bronze vessels. Remember the descriptions of the temple that Solomon built? On either side of the entrance to that temple were two magnificent pillars. The capitals of those pillars were with intricate bronze. Nebuzaradan and his host, they chopped it up, and they just carried that away captive too. Utterly, utterly destroying what was left in the city of Babylon. Verse 18, the captain of the guard took Sariah the chief priest and Zephaniah the second priest and the three keepers of the door. Here we have people of the temple. And out of the city he took an officer that was set over the men of war and five men of them that were in the king's presence, which were found in the city, and the principal scribe of the host which mustered the people of the land, and threescore men of the people of the land that were found in the city. What's going on? Well, these are influential people that were found in the city who didn't run away, who didn't escape, who were found in the city. And then there was how many? Threescore men, 20, 40, 60 men as representations of those people that found in the city. 60, 70 men 
rounded up, were taken. And it tells us in verse 20 that Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon to Ribbah. Here we have yet another selection of the high-ranking officials and selections from the people. And what happened? Verse 21, the king of Babylon smote them and slew them at Ribbah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was carried away out of their land. There's no remnanty. It's done. It's happening. But we need, as Chaldeans, as Babylonians, somebody to stay in this land because there's some poor people, including this guy over here. And we need somebody to rule over them. So we're not going to appoint any more of <laughs> Josiah's family, that royal family. So they pick a guy whose name is Gedaliah. Gedaliah, you want to come on up here? Ah. Nebuzaradan, knowing the importance of having people on my side and on his side, um, need to appoint Gedaliah. So now you're in charge. And actually, you guys kind of sort of seem to, well, at the beginning, get along. But as time goes by, there's another guy that comes into the picture and a few other guys. And Jeremiah... And another prophet of the Lord warn you, this guy's trouble. This guy's trouble. Let's look here about this guy. So Nebuzaradan now appoints Gedaliah, hmm, not as king. Nah, they're done with kings. We're not appointing kings, but governor. Governor over Judah. And it tells us here, that Ishmael, the son of Nathanah, and Johanna, the son of Kariah, and Sariah, the son, and so forth. These are hard names. But the main guy to recognize here is Ishmael. They come to Gedaliah. And you know what they do? It says, that Gedaliah swear to them and to their men, and said unto them, Fear not to be the servants of the Chaldees. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with thee. Oh, that's why you and Jeremiah, I think, you know, got along. But Jeremiah and others, we don't read it here in Kings, but in, 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 in Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, warn him, these are not your friends. Don't join with these men. But you know, Gedaliah wouldn't listen. And it tells us in verse 25, it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, of the seed royal, interesting, he was of the seed royal, meaning he was a part of the royal family. He was somehow connected to David, if not to Josiah. Came, and ten men with him, and they smote Gedaliah that he died. And the Jews and the Chaldees that were with him at Mizpah. So they weren't in Jerusalem anymore. Jerusalem was in trouble, but here at Mizpah. So Gedaliah is killed. And then they get scared. Because they don't only kill Gedaliah, for it says that all the people, both small and great, and the captains of the armies arose and came to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldees. Because they had just now murdered, assassinated the guy that the Chaldees had put in charge. And not only did they kill him, but when we see, read in Jeremiah, we find out that they killed others 
who were a part of this government that Nebuchadnezzar had appointed, Nebuzaradan, to appoint here in Israel. And there's also some Chaldees there making sure they're following the rules. Ishmael kills them all. And then they all flee to Egypt. Then remember last week we learned they took Jeremiah with them. These are the events taking place. Now turn with me back to 2 Chronicles, the last chapter. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Jeremiah, too. Look with me again at the last chapter of 2 Chronicles. Verse 17. Therefore, he, the Lord, brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion upon young men or maidens, old men, or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of the princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem and break all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried away to Babylon where they were servants to him and his sons till the reign of the kingdom of Persia. Why? Look at 2 Chronicles 36 verse 21 to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. Seventy years. You see, the nation of Israel was disobeying God. And, you know, we've looked at all this history and all this detail and we're like, well, that, that happened Oh, 2,500 years ago. What's that have to do with us here today? Well, really, a lot of the book of 2 Chronicles is history, history, history detail. And if you ever get bogged down in the history, history detail of 2 Chronicles or of 1 Chronicles or of the Kings, go to the very last chapter and read this. It's a history of God working with his people and pleading with his people to obey and they wouldn't obey. They rejected his prophets. They wouldn't obey. They wouldn't hear. They mocked his prophets. They despised them, and they misused them to the point where there was no remedy but judgment. And you might wonder, what is this about Sabbaths? I'm curious. Um, I'm not going to ask you to explain it, but if you think you know what that is, I want to know what your Bible knowledge is here. If you think you know what it's talking about here in verse 25 where it says, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, for as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. If you think you know what that's talking about, could you raise your hand? Okay, good. Some of you don't know, so I want to explain it. In the law, of Moses. God had established a Sabbath day. So we have six days of the week and a seventh day is the Sabbath. As it would fall on our week, it would be Saturday. Saturday is the seventh day of the week. And in the law of Moses, 
the law of Moses. It was a commanded Sabbath, which was a day of rest. In fact, in the days of the theocracy, that is God ruling, under the judgeship of Moses, a man was found to be picking up sticks on the Sabbath day, on the Sabbath day, and they were like, oh, he's breaking the Sabbath. And so they took him and they put him in prison till they could learn of the mind of the Lord. When the Lord executed judgment, he commanded that he be put to death. See, sometimes in our world today, we talk about the Sabbath day, and some people will talk about and try to convince you that the Sabbath carries over into the church. We as Christians in the church age are not under the law of Moses. The law of Moses was specifically for the theocracy, the nation of Israel. If it were, you'd have to stone me because I was in that exact same wilderness on the Sabbath day gathering sticks to make our lunch in 2017. In the very same wilderness, picking up the very same sticks, not the same sticks, but in the same place, on the Sabbath day to cook our lunch. It was a law of Moses. So it was Old Testament law of Moses, theocracy of Israel. It was a serious business. And not only was it every seven days, but then there was a command regarding the land that every seven years that there was to be a land, of, of the land was to rest. The land was to rest, meaning you didn't plant your crops, but you let the land rest. Well, they didn't do that. They just planted crops, planted crops, planted crops. What's kind of interesting is there's actually, this is one of the interesting parts about the law of God, is the law of God is said to be good, holy, and glorious. It's also said to be the minister of death. But the law of God is interesting that it's good, because did you know that the land needs rest? It actually does need that rest. And scientists now have figured out a way, that's why we rotate crops to give the land rest from growing corn to grow soybeans. And, but even with doing that rotation, the agriculturists will admit that if they just let it rest, it would actually be the best for the land. But they compromise and they rotate. Which again, if we were under the law of Moses, and we aren't, that would not be allowed. In this nation, that was one of the very basic commands. And what's really interesting about it is that it was a command of rest. Isn't that interesting? It was a command to rest. It wasn't a command to do something. It was a command to rest. And this was the one marker that God used to, talk, to appeal to his people to say, I even command you to rest and you can't obey. That's a problem. And so God's saying, all these years you haven't let the land rest, and you yourselves haven't rested. Not only have they not rested, they've been blatantly disobeying and doing the abominations of the wicked. So God says, the land I'm going to give a rest. Seventy years of rest. Seventy Sabbaths have been ignored. Seventy sabbatical years. Every seven years they would let the land rest. They didn't obey. So now God says, I'm going to force it. I'm going to take you all out of it to captivity so that the land can rest. And this was of a spiritual significance to the people again. Will you obey? And as we're going to learn as we continue now into the study of Jeremiah in harmony with Ezekiel, that they still won't obey.
But in spite of it, Jeremiah said it will happen. And Jeremiah, in spite of their disobedience, so many of their disobedience, prophesied that at the end of that 70 years, they would return. That's exactly what's described here. That it was, if we look at verse 20, here it says, And of them that escaped from the sword, carried the Chaldees away to Babylon, where they were servants unto him and his sons, until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. So we had the Babylonian kingdom, and now we have the medial Persia kingdom. Why? To fulfill the word by the to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years, seventy years. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, does anybody know Cyrus? Now, if you didn't know Cyrus before just now, you, you could have known Cyrus. Because over a hundred years before Cyrus was even born, the prophet Isaiah said that Israel would be judged, Israel would be carried away into captivity, Israel would have the Sabbath, and a guy named, named Cyrus will decree that you return to the land. That was a prophecy. It was a prophecy of Isaiah. Long before now here, the record of it occurs. And here, Second Chronicles is just jumping forward a full 70 years saying that in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, and also Isaiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his land and put it also in writing saying, thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build him an house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is there among you of all his people. The Lord his God be with him, and let him go up. We read this, and we just take it for granted. This was a big deal to those people. This was a huge deal to those people. This was the orchestration of fulfillments of prophecies that had been made over and over and over, warnings of judgment that had been made over and over and over, and it's all happened just like God said it would happen, which ought to be an encouragement to us as we also read in these prophecies, prophecies that haven't yet been fulfilled and promises made to us that haven't yet been seen we still can have faith. This can encourage our faith to believe. For just as God kept his promises to those people, both in judgment and in restoration, so he'll keep his promises to you and me. So let's not neglect God's word. Let's not neglect those who teach us God's word. Let us not mock them nor misuse them. And you might say, don't do that. Let us not despise them, and especially the message of the word of the Lord, either in our outward actions or in our hearts. Let us hear and heed the word of the Lord. It actually tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
in verse 8, after it goes through a whole series of things that God would have for us to do and to be, and an introduction into more details, it says this, He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Which means that if you are a believer, you are a Christian, and you have heard the word of the Lord and the truth of the Lord and the commands of the Lord in your life, if you despise it in your heart, you're not despising man nor a meaningless book. You're despising God. And in fact, if you're a Christian, you're despising the Holy Spirit of God, the one who is given to you as the aid, comforter, helper, and seal to let you do it all. Isn't that exciting? Let's believe God. Let's follow him. Let's obey him. Let's take his word serious. One way we can despise it is to neglect it, like the banana peels. Not despise it. Let's treasure this book. Let's treasure our God who inspired this book who lives and breathes through the words communicated in this book. Let's seek him. Great God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this history. And may this foundation, I pray, Lord, be understood by us as we look to then Jeremiah, where Jeremiah preaches and preaches and preaches. And Lord, I pray that as we see and consider the sermons he gave to these people in that time, in that place, in that dispensation, we would understand the history behind it to understand the meaning and the purpose of it so that we can understand what applications and parallels Jeremiah had for them that you have for us today. For these things were written for our learning. May we learn and truly, earnestly seek you. We pray in your name. Amen.